Hey everyone, I'm Alex Cantor. And I'm Lily Rosenthal. Welcome to our podcast, Hot Pastrami. We are coming to you from our favorite booth at Cantor's Deli here in LA. We're going to invite some of our friends to join us for a chat over some matzo ball soup and pastrami sandwiches. So join us for new episodes of Hot Pastrami every week on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you listen to podcasts. See you soon. Bye. Hello, everyone. Over the next few months, I will be mixing new episodes with some of your favorite episodes that you may have missed. These episodes have been the most shared and listened to since the launch of Motherhood Meets Medicine. Let's do it. Just a little disclaimer before we start this episode. This podcast does not provide medical advice. The information on this podcast is for informational purposes only. No material on this site is intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Today, I will be talking with Dr. Becky. Dr. Becky is a clinical psychologist specializing in parenting and resilience. In today's episode, we talk about tantrums and how to handle them. As Dr. Becky mentions within the episode, this can apply to everyone, not just our children. Dr. Becky talks about the framework surrounding a tantrum and how we can react when we're in the heat of the moment. All of this information may feel really overwhelming. And if it does, I encourage you to take one thing away from this talk today and just work on that. Personally, I have already written down a little sticky note for myself for the next tantrum I encounter. My sticky note reads, you have a job and your child has a job. Your child's job is to have feelings. Some of these are big feelings. Your job as a parent is to regulate and validate those feelings. Your job is to set boundaries that keep your children safe. This sticky note is something that I keep on the side of my fridge and I refer to when a tantrum starts. I tell my child, mommy needs a minute. I'm going to take a big deep breath. I read my sticky note and then I proceed. This really helps me to approach the tantrum situation with a calm presence. Be sure to refer to the show notes for more information on what we talk about here today. Let's dive in. Good morning, Dr. Becky. How are you? I am good, Lindsay. Thank you for having me. How are you? Very good. We are very excited to have you. We have a lot of questions for you at the end of this episode. So today we are going to be talking about toddler tantrums and how to address them, how to keep calm. I know for myself, it's very difficult to listen and, you know, write down all these tips and put them in the back of your brain. But then when the situation starts occurring, all of a sudden you're like, what am I supposed to do? (laughs) And so I love that this is going to be a podcast that people can refer back to and say, oh, you know, maybe I didn't handle that quite the way I could have. Let me re-listen to this and see, you know, what tips she had for us. And so I'm just really excited to hear what you have to say today about this topic. That's awesome. And I think that's a really good way to set up this episode for listeners because I, I love talking about tantrums and all things parenting. And just for everyone listening now, sometimes I, I I get excited and I put out a lot at once. And so you're not meant to do all the things I say. You're not meant to do any of them. And if you find one thing that you think resonates or even you think that's just interesting, I'd want to try that, that's it. Like one thing and then this exists and this lives and come back and try another thing or right, you listen. So just just one thing. One th- right. We're not we're not trying to make a one eighty degree change at any in anything in our lives. And I I love that too, because it can be overwhelming where you're like, wait, I wasn't doing any of those things. Where do I even start? And so I think that's really important to say, listen, let's just take this one little thing from this episode today and say, I'm going to work on this in the next couple of weeks. And then if you feel like you've nailed that down and it's something you feel comfortable with, let's move on to something else you wanted to work on. And, you know, no one's going to be perfect. And this is just, it's hard kids and bringing them up and, and raising them and, being in those situations and every situation is going to be different. It's just hard. That's the ultimate truth. Before we yeah. jump into some other things, that's the ultimate truth. They actually think, and I think we'll actually get there. That's actually a key part of being a calm, sturdy leader during a tantrum is actually reminding yourself, this feels hard because it is hard, right? Whenever we go into something is wrong with me mode or something is wrong with my kid mode, we actually can't regulate ourselves or have access to any of the strategies we learn because our body is flooded with shame and self-blame. And so actually going into this, just saying, yeah, raising kids is so hard. Parenting is so hard. You have kids. Like I have three kids myself. I hope everyone listening knows that. 
And don't think that the things I say here are things I do all the time in my real life with my actual kids, because I don't, because it's really, really hard. And I'll re-listen to this episode, Lindsay, and I'll be like, wow, that sounds like, that sounds like a really good idea. I'm going to try that. So we're all in this together. <laughs> oh, I love that. So I actually want to touch on that because this is something I learned through you. And to be honest with you, mama four here really never even thought about self-regulation. I mean, really and truly, it's something I feel like is so important. And if you can just touch on that and talk about self-regulation and how it helps in, for example, you know, an episode where your child is having a tantrum, I think starting off with that is really important. I love that. Yes, let's jump in right there. So a couple things. I like to think about three words when we're thinking about regulation, and it applies to us as adults, but it's really also what we're doing with our kids. So think about the start is dysregulation. That means not being able to regulate. Tantrums are biological states of dysregulation. They are not willful acts of disobedience. That's huge. They are Mm -hmm. dysregulation. If we take ourselves as the adults, we were all kids at some point who had tantrums, and you might not remember it with words, but we see our kids, we see how inevitable it is. So we all start not being able to regulate. Why? Because we come into the world fully able to feel and sense, yet totally unable to manage the intense feelings and sensations in our body. It's just like this really inconvenient mismatch. And actually, that part of our brain doesn't fully develop until like well into our 20s, mostly develop, right? So we have a long time when we can feel things, but not yet regulate them. So that's dysregulation. Then there's this period in the middle that is everything I think I focus on with parents called co-regulation. And that is almost like we have to lend our kids our regulation skills and they kind of absorb it. They don't really take it from us, but they absorb it. And eventually, hopefully, they've internalized that. They've absorbed enough that they're able to self-regulate. Now, no one self-regulates all the time. We know this as adults. We all need people, right? Human Mm -hmm. beings are, you know, they're relational species, right? So we never fully self-regulate. But the hope is that you've absorbed enough co-regulation that you're more and more able to self-regulate. And even the idea of self-regulation for all the adults listening, it's almost an interesting one because I always think there's actually a relationship involved but it's the relationship we have with ourselves. Self-regulation is the ability to say to ourselves, wow, my body is really stressed. Wow, I'm really anxious. If you think about that, there's actually a relationship there. It's like the kind of calm, all-knowing part of me is talking to the anxious part of me. So if you think about that, what self-regulation really is, it's kind of the idea that we've taken in a relationship that was able to give us soothing And now we have kind of absorbed enough of that that we can do it to ourselves. Mm -hmm. And that goes back to that co-regulation piece. Regulation is not something we learn in a textbook. It's not something you learn in a college course. It's something you have to experience. And so where we are as an adult, as our baseline, how able am I to self-regulate when my kid is freaking out, right? We have to really look back and say, well, that's interesting. Like, What are regulation patterns like in my family of origin? What, do you, what, what was my experience probably like? Even if I don't remember, I think every adult I know knows, how did my parents probably react when I was freaking out about not getting the toy in the toy store? And then one of our jobs, I think, as an adult is to say, wherever my baseline is, I can, I can do the work as an adult to get better at regulating my difficult emotions because any of the other strategies we're going to talk about today are dependent on our ability to regulate. Because if we can't, our own body is in an adult tantrum state, which shuts off access to our prefrontal cortex and leaves us just spiraling in the same way. It might look a little different, but internally we're in no different of a position than our kids. And we can't do that co-regulation period for them. Right. And this was really eye-opening to me because I was like, oh, wow, this is a good example. So a lot of the times my husband will work nights and I'm, I'm cooking dinner and I'm cooking dinner with four children under the age of seven. (laughs) And that's hard. And so I finally get dinner on the table and, you know, I'm like, okay, everybody let's sit down. Let's have this grand dinner. And yeah, I mean, we all know how this goes, right? I mean, we have, (laughs) and so I, I try so hard every night to not have this adult tantrum that I just cooked dinner 
for everybody and nobody wants to sit down and eat it or they do sit down and they're like, this is yucky or, you know, what have you. Mm -hmm. And so I think about this a lot because I'm like, oh, this is just, this is me. This is me having this adult tantrum. And I, I don't quite know how to self regulate. (laughs) I think about this all the time. I mean, really and truly. And it's like, oh, they're absorbing all of this, this, you know, why aren't you sitting down and just this constant like back and forth. And so your posts about self-regulation have just resonated with me so much because I can apply it and see it in so many different places within, within my day, you know? So let's, if it's okay with you, let's like jump in there a little bit. Yeah. Let's get yeah. into that, that moment. So, so much of regulation involves feeling seen, yeah. feeling seen as you are not feeling seen for who you need to be. Right. And I think we all know that that's like so bad when someone's like, right. Oh, if you're like this, that will be better. Right. You want to be seen how you are. So if we think about that, like I picture you finishing whatever it is, your boiled pot, you know, boiled water, you poured out the penne, you're making some pasta dish. Mm-hmm. And if I were in the kitchen with you, or if I were like prompting you, I'd be like, Lindsay, before you call your kids in, like slow down and literally place your hand on your heart because it's a way we connect to our bodies and we kind of create that little soothing relationship with ourselves. And I would say something to yourself. I would say something like, I'm just noticing I cooked a dinner for my whole family. That's a big deal. And I know it's a big deal. And I know that's a really valuable role. And I know I'm really doing a good job. And let me pause because I'm imagining my kids coming in and saying, oh, not this again. And let me just imagine that. And now, before that happens, in the in my imagination, come back and say, wow, okay, my kid's allowed to not like dinner. I'm allowed to still know that I did a really good job. Mm-hmm. My kid's allowed to not like it. And I'm actually, so much of regulation is pre-regulation, is I consider it emotional vaccination. It's like we get the anti, right? You, your medicine, right? So like, yeah, we create regulation antibodies by predicting and soothing mm-hmm. ourselves and giving ourselves some skill in advance. And just like we talk about, and we will talk about with our kids, it's so helpful to just see, oh, you wish you could watch another show. Oh, you want ice cream for dinner and it's not available. I'm just seeing them how they are. We as adults need to take that step of doing that for ourselves. Because if we don't, our kids' insults are a direct assault. They feel like they go right to the core. And part of that's because we didn't do the work a little bit of giving ourselves that kind of acknowledgement that we need. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I love that. That's what I'm going to do tonight. <laughs> Try it. Let me know how it goes. Mommy's going to have a little minute with my glass of wine. Just Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, you're so right, though. I mean, you just need to say, and it seems like something so small, but- I can imagine myself giving myself that credit and then sitting down and being like, okay, you know, I've already foreseen what might happen and it's not going to affect me as much as if I didn't take a minute to think about all the possible, you know, consequences of what's going to happen and then saying, let's just ride this out and it's going to be okay. I mean, this is like just a daily occurrence. And so that's like one of my, one of my just obvious frustrations. (laughs) frustrations. <laughs> yep. And I think that's like a really powerful thing for adults to say, the thing that is my daily frustration, like what triggers me and what's the meaning of that, right? Yeah. There's always a meaning of a trigger. It's never the thing. So, right. I probably, I feel like there's so much I'm doing and I feel totally unappreciated and totally unseen in this value I'm providing. Another thing I would say is how cool to then like take a picture of the meal before your kids come in, text one of your friends and in advance be like, Hey, like, let's start doing things for each other instead of like kind of looking for our kids to do that for us. Yeah. So I'm going to text you a meal and like, it'll be really nice if you just wrote me back. Like, wow, that's awesome. You have four kids under the age of seven. You just cooked that. You rock. Let's both anticipate your kids not liking it, but at least me and you know that you did a great job. Totally changes it when your kid then says it because of that connection and validation you've gotten from a friend. I love that. I love that idea. And even, and, and last night I actually took a picture of dinner and I had sent it to my husband and I was like, this is so good. You're going to love it. I wrapped it up. It's in the fridge. And he was like, oh, I can't wait. And so even last night, I noticed a slight difference. And now that you mentioned that, that might be why. Because Uh I was like, oh, I know this dinner rocks. Yeah. My husband's excited to eat it when he gets home. Because that's part of the issue too, is when he's home, I'm like, okay, we can both commiserate on this together. 
we can both talk about this and connect on it. But when you're by yourself, it's it's just like this very lonely little hole. And you know, my oldest is always so sweet. She's like, "Well, mommy, I love dinner." So she's always my little. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she's just this little. She, oh, bless her heart. She like always makes me feel like I'm like the mom of the year. But you know, when you're by yourself, it's really hard. And so I think that you you mentioned that, and that's a really great idea, is to just have this little text group with one or two people where you can say, "Look, I got all my kids in the car and out of the door by eight a.m." hundred percent. Right. Like Like, I put my socks on today and and our friends be like, wow, that's, that's really impressive because sometimes I forget to do like, we know that that's a big deal. Right. So, and you just said something that's going to be so core to when we talk about managing our kids tantrums. It's not the feelings that ever feel as bad as the aloneness in the feelings. We give feelings such a bad rap, right? Like feelings like, Oh, I don't want to feel that. And that's so distressing. It's actually not the feelings. It's having in our past been alone over and over in those feelings that the aloneness gets encoded in our bodies right next to the feeling. Then we blame the feeling versus saying, I wonder if this is a feeling I just never felt supported in. I wonder if it's the lack of support historically, not the feeling itself that made this awful. And then when we go to our kids' tantrums, what's a tantrum? It's frustration. It's disappointment. What actually, once kids get started, feels worse to them than that is the aloneness they feel when Mm -hmm. we send them away or when we say you're being ridiculous, right? Because someone's saying to us, you're being ridiculous, even if they're standing in front of us, it's the experience of aloneness. It's like, oh, this feeling is, I'm I'm just alone with this. Like no one wants to understand me. So I think that's actually so important when we realize that as an adult, like it's the aloneness, it's feeling alone. That feels awful. And to really viscerally notice that because that will be compelling to kind of get you to try something new with your kids. Cause like, wait, it's not that they're frustrated. It's that they feel invalidated and they feel blamed that, Oh, I know what it likes. It feels like to feel invalidated and blamed. That feels so much worse than whatever the feeling was initially. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, I like that you brought that up. That's really interesting. So, so many, so much of what you say, I always think I always send your your really helpful Instagram posts to my husband. I'm like, Oh, look at what Dr. Becky said. We have to apply this. We have to apply this. Of course. Now we have like a million of your posts and we're like, what do we apply first? But, (laughs) but, um, so much of what you say when you, when you say it and you, we talk about it together, I'm like, Oh, that makes, it makes so much sense. And I have no idea personally, if this ever affects the way that I handle things, but I grew up as an only child. And so, so much of my feelings were alone, mm-hmm. you know, and, you know, I had my, my mom and my dad and, and of course, you know, could go to them, but I never had that secondary source of like bouncing my feelings off of, you know, like, Hey, you know, mom said this and, uh, and so that's one of the reasons why I wanted to have so many kids was because I was like, Oh, I want them to be able to have somebody to talk to and bounce things off of. And so many times I went to bed at night thinking, I wish I had somebody to talk with, like, Mm. and talk through my feelings. And I actually found myself always listening to music when I went to fall asleep in my teens, like when I was in high school. And I still even do it sometimes now. Like if my husband's not home, I listen to music to go to sleep. It's like that comfort zone for me. But I find that, that you said that is just, it's just like kind of mind blowing, like, Oh wow, that makes a lot of sense now. And I think that, you know, and I don't know if we'll transition to talking about, you know, more explicitly the kids tantrums, but the feelings as adults, going back to your question about regulation, the feelings as adults that we know we really struggle to regulate. Those are the feelings that, Oh, they spin out of control for us. They're the feelings that we were alone with when we were younger. Mm-hmm. I always feel like if you if we're willing to kind of really reflect on ourselves, we learn the most about our childhoods from watching how we are as adults. You don't need to have the the kind of verbal memory, right? Our verbal memories are so limited anyway by so many different things. But watching yourself say, wow, when my kid is having a total meltdown about something that is big in their life or just set them off, I'm noticing I, I have a really hard time saying calm, like in my body, that give someone, if they're willing to be curious about it, like so much family history, like you're learning right there. Even if you're like, but I don't even remember what that was like. Your body remembers. You're telling yourself that is your memory. You're watching your body spiral and spiral. And the feelings that we really struggle to regulate are the feelings we didn't have a strong connection, a Mm -hmm. safe connection with when we're 
when we feel safe with someone, when we feel like someone is trying to be there and not scared of our emotions and willing to name it, and that doesn't mean willing to let us hit or willing to let us throw blocks, right? But keep us safe, but then stay there for all the big feelings. We are wiring into kids a resiliency and a regulation that when they're adults, their body remembers their ability to get through it because someone was there. And that's what I feel so passionate about. Kind of let's help parents do this for kids. Like the strength of these next generation of kids who can do that is going to be, it's just going to be so powerful. Yeah. Huge. All right. So let's dive into your child is having a tantrum. And so before we dive in, will this apply to certain ages or, you know, like what we're talking about right now? Yeah. Just so that we can kind of talk about that up front, because I know one of the community questions was kind of based on that. And I think that's, that's interesting and important. Yes. So here's the thing. I get that question a lot. Like, what age is this workshop that you're doing good for? Or you're talking about tantrums. Is my kid too old to be having tantrums? My kid is however many years. My kid's eight years old and he's still having tantrums. Is that a problem? I really think less about age and more about what's going on in front of me. Like, mm-hmm. is your eight-year-old too old to be having a tantrum? To me, it's 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 just the wrong question. Like, your eight-year-old is having a tantrum. Mm-hmm. Right. So, (laughs) right. It'd be like if you had an employee who was always late and you're like, um, is my employee supposed to be late all the time? You're like, well, they are. So you're either dealing with it or you're not. Right. Like it's just so true. And we, we actually do that all the time. And, And to me, the question of, is this normal or should this be happening can always be replaced with what is going on for my kid? And what is that telling me that my child needs from me? I don't think anything that goes on for a kid is a parent's fault. I really mean that. It's not your fault that your kid's still tantruming at age eight. It is our responsibility to figure out what our kids need and set up a structure to help better meet those needs so our kids can develop and grow. That's what I think is key. And the question of, is this normal? Or should my kids still be doing this at this age? Takes us totally away from that question and into a place where we're either saying to ourselves, oh, I'm the worst parent, or I guess everything's fine. And either one of those places is not conducive of learning. And so that's really unfortunate. So what I'm going to be saying here to me, they're principles of regulation. And though maybe most of our examples will be tantrums that happen mostly in the toddler years or the elementary school years. But if your kid is kind of having 10-year-old tantrums, that probably look different than two-year-olds, but Mm -hmm. physiologically what's happening in their body is no different. So developmentally, they need the same principles. And honestly, we have tantrums and we need the same yeah. things. This is to me what unites this Instagram community that you're such a big part of is that I think people know that what's really resonating is like, yeah, we're talking about our kids. We're talking about humans. We're talking about how humans relate to each other and what they need. So with that in mind, I ask everyone to listen to these examples for their kids and also to think about parallels in their life, in their marriage, with their employees, with their colleagues, with their own parents. It, it, it really applies to, to everyone. Yeah. I love that. I love that. Okay. So how do you think we should set this up as far as should we give an example? Should you just talk about? So let's, let's just set the framework and then go into an example, right? So to me, what I ask parents to uh, kind of, I don't know if it's accept as true, but explore as if this is true is that my kid is not doing a tantrum to me. My kid is not trying Mm -hmm. to manipulate me. My kid is not putting on an act, right? My kid is unable in this moment to regulate a strong feeling, a strong thought, a strong image, a strong urge, right? Sometimes a kid, they right? They come to breakfast or they come to your dinner and they have this image in mind for some reason, right? They thought it was going to be something and then it's mac so and jarring. Exactly. That's like my kids do. Oh, mac and cheese isn't for lunch and dinner again? I'm like, no, we have to take one break from mac and cheese. We're having like quesadillas. It's mac yeah. and cheese and bread form. Okay. Yeah. Like, but it's totally different. It but makes totally me really upset. And it's even a different type of cuisine. So mother of the year, right? And, and again, come back to ourselves. Like I know for me, I remember a day a month or two ago where I like needed my everything bagel with cream cheese from the store near me. Like I needed it. And I got there and they were like, oh, sorry, we've plain bagels. Is that okay? And I was like, um, uh, uh, what? Like, <laughs> I, I was like, is that okay? Like, that no, <laughs> so not okay. And it took all of my reserves to not, I don't even know, to not yell, to not cry, all of it. And I was like, I am an adult who also like talks about this stuff all the time. Right. And of course this happens for our kids who are so much less developed. So that's the number one thing as a parent. And you're listening to this think My kid isn't doing a tantrum to me. 
My kid isn't trying to win something. My kid is struggling, right? And I think about this phrase a lot. I have a good kid having a hard time, not a bad kid doing bad things. Everything we do to intervene is based on which way we view our kid. And our kids know which way we're looking at them. And there's nothing that feels worse as being looked at like you're a bad kid. That is more dysregulating than the thing itself. So number one, tantrums are biological states of dysregulation. Kind of a 1B or maybe 2. My kid is a good kid having a hard time. They need my help. A tantrum is my child's way of saying, I am so overwhelmed. I had a feeling in my body that was so explosive that it's coming out like a volcano. Please help me feel safe. That's what a tantrum is, right? That brings me to a next general point, which to me is huge, which is just jobs. I think a lot about family jobs. And part of it is I'm used to working in systems, right? I sometimes do even consulting with businesses. And one of the things that happens a lot when businesses don't run well is like, there's really not a lot of clarity in like who's doing what, right? Imagine showing up for a job and it's a new day and someone comes to your office, they're like, just do your thing. And we'll tell you if you're doing a good job. You'd be like, what what am I supposed (laughs) to do? What thing? What what thing? And if they said, here's your five tasks. Oh, it's like, okay. Right. Mm -hmm. As a parent to me, we have two main jobs setting boundaries. And really boundaries are meant to keep our kids safe. So it's keeping our kids safe through our boundaries and validating and empathizing with their feelings, which usually come up most strongly when we set the boundaries. So they kind of go hand in hand. Boundaries are around safety, which means some behaviors are not okay because they're unsafe. It's not safe to hit. It's not safe to call your sister nasty names, right? Those are versions of danger. My job is to set firm boundaries to stop those things or pull my kid out of a situation. My other job is after I've done that and after I've kind of assured safety, validate and empathize with the feelings under the behavior. This is a huge thing about tantrums. Tantrums are a behavior. There's a story underneath. Underneath a meltdown about not having ice cream for breakfast is a strong wish and it's so hard to want something and not have it. Underneath hitting your sister is how hard it is to share your toys with a sibling. There's always something we can empathize with under our kids' behaviors. I think another way of saying this is some behaviors get a no. All feelings can get a yes. Always. And those are the principles that kind of, in my mind, drive my approach to tantrums. And then I think the one last thing I'll say before we jump into specifics is I like to think about my kids having a job too, because it helps me frame it in a way that I'm less reactive. Mm-hmm. So to me, I, I really believe resilience is our ability to manage the whole wide range of emotions that we feel, right? And I think we know this as an adult, like really resilient adults, they sometimes, it's not that I never get fired from a job. It's that I get fired from a job and it stinks, but I don't totally lose myself, right? I can deal with failure. I can deal with not knowing. I can deal with anxiety. Those times are harder, but I don't totally collapse. And we don't unfeel feelings. I don't know any adult is like, my parents really got rid of the sadness in me and I've never felt sad. They did a great job, you know, like, (laughs) right? Like either we're prepared to deal with sadness or we're not, right? And so all of these feelings your kids are going through, they're sad, they're crying, they're frustrated. Like, I know this is, it's hard in the moment, which is why it's a good thing to talk about now. Zoom out. and Like, that's their job. Their job is to feel all their feelings mm-hmm. because we don't want them to have overwhelming frustration for the first time as a 32-year-old. Like, ooh, that is not going to look pretty because their yeah. developmental skills of coping are going to look like a one-year-old. That doesn't, we know 32-year-olds and 50-year-olds who look like that. It's not pretty when they're in traffic, right? It's really, really not. So <laughs> our kids, when they feel, in reaction to our boundary, when they cry, when we say we have to turn the TV off, when we say, sorry, you can't have that 42nd Oreo cookie. I feel like 41 was was plenty for the day. They're doing their job. And I say that to myself a lot, especially when you feel that tantrum building. Hey, wait, my job is the boundary. My job is going to be validating the feeling. My kid's feeling, it's going to seem ridiculous to me, but actually he's doing his job. And framing things in jobs, it feels sturdy. And it feels like we can then give ourselves permission to be that leader. Now, I'm taking all of this in and I'm thinking to myself, 
again, it's so hard when you're in the moment, right? To remind yourself of these things, but it's, I'm almost thinking to myself, oh, I could even write down like a few of these things, you know, like your child has a job. I have a job and putting what those jobs are and just saying, you know what, as you say uh, all the time, we're having some big feelings here. Mommy's going to take a minute and then go read that piece of paper and say, oh, okay, I have a job. My child has a job. And then going back, that's okay, right? To, to take a minute and just say, you know what? I'm going to take a minute and go read what I have to read or just take a moment and come back and address it when I get back. Uh, it is always okay to tell your child, you, you need a minute. The key mm-hmm. thing there is labeling it as you versus, right? Sometimes we say things like, you're making me whatever. Need a minute. Right? <laughs> exactly. That's, that's different, right? Then we're putting yeah. our stuff on our kids. I also think this is a great way to concretely link what we can do before and what we can do during. So this is a great conversation to have with your kids. Do you know you have a job in this family and I have a job? Right? Here's, I actually have a couple jobs, right? But one of my main jobs is to make decisions that I think are good for you and keep you safe. That sounds good, right? Well, here's where it gets tricky. A part of that job is making decisions that I think are good for you and keep you safe, even if you're upset with me. Mm. Right? Mm-hmm. That sounded good until I said that part, right? But that is part of my job. <laughs> and then another part of my job is when I do have to make those decisions, which might be, oh, we're not having cake for breakfast. It might be, oh, tonight isn't early to bed night, right? We need to get some sleep. Your job is actually to have feelings about that. Isn't that an interesting job? Your job is to have your feelings. And my job related to your job is to help you have feelings in a safe way. So I'm going to stop you if something's dangerous and I'm going to sit with you and help you have all those feelings and be safe. And actually, I'm going to write this down. Make this public. Like, I'm going to put this on my fridge. Kids' job, have feelings. Learn how to have feelings in a safe way. Mom, dad job, whoever it is, mom and mom, dad and dad, mom and dad. Help you stay safe, even if you don't like it. Help you understand that your feelings are all okay. Some behaviors are not. What a cool thing. Like, Why not have it out in the open? Yeah, I love that. It's just right there. And I think, right, let's play that out. So you're, you know, I don't know, your daughter comes in one day and says, oh, can I have the iPad now? I want to watch a show. And maybe, you know, no judgment either way, just for the sake of example, you want to say no, right? So you, here's, here's to me another key part of managing tantrums when they're impending or when they're going on. So powerful to do something I call name the wish. When we name a wish under the tantrum, a child feels seen in what the genesis of the tantrum is, right? Yeah. Um, I always go back to this time. I lost my phone and my husband was like, and I love my husband so much. He was like, oh, you shouldn't have like just had it hanging. Oh. And I was like, uh, yeah, yeah, I got that. And if he had just said, <laughs> oh, you wish you still had your phone. I wish he was like, yes, I do. I really do. I really do. I really need it right now. Exactly. I have to go get a new one. Such a pain. I have to pay all this money. Right? So what would that look like, right? When you say no to the iPad and say, oh, you really wish it was, you really wish it was screen time right now. And the kid will say, oh yeah. So, so that means, yeah, yeah, exactly. So can I watch a show? Right? And then let's go over those jobs, mm-hmm. right? Here's the boundary. No, sweetie, it's not screen time now. Oh, I get that you're upset about that. I'm doing the boundary. Mm-hmm. I'm doing the feelings, right? I'm doing the seeing their experience. You're allowed to have feelings. I'm allowed to make a decision. And I think what parents really need to be empowered with is sometimes being a good parent means making a decision that your kid isn't happy with. And that's actually a huge gift to a kid because when a kid learns that a parent, it's not that we want to make them disappointed. We don't want that, but we're not scared of it. Mm -hmm. And by us not being scared of it, that's one of the things they absorb that helps them learn that self-regulation because we're not avoiding it. We only avoid what is scary, right, in life. And so when we're willing to say, yeah, I am the leader and I just don't think this is a good time for a show and you're allowed to be upset. And then they actually do get upset because let me be clear, mm-hmm. this isn't a trick. It's not like I say to my kids, you're allowed to be upset. And they say, yeah, you, you're such a validating mom. I love you. I feel so, <laughs> feel so seen. <laughs> never uh, happened in my whole life, right? They, they get upset and slam the door of their bedroom, yeah, right? Yeah, but then course. I come back to, did I do my job? Maybe it's not, wait, okay, I set the boundary and that comes from what I felt was right. I saw something in my kid. I validated, okay, I did that. Oh, now my kid's still upset. And then to me having, oh, wait, wait, my kid, my, my, my kid did his job. It doesn't happen to feel good. Sometimes mm-hmm. doing your job doesn't feel good. But when you're reminding yourself everyone did their job 
that's what helps us regulate because we don't go into bad parent, bad kid mode. And if we, if we play that out further, cause some listeners might be saying, okay, my kid won't go into the room. They'll, they'll start hitting me or they'll like want to throw the iPad, right? Here to me is like some key in the moment of a tantrum management skills. My number one job is to keep my kids safe. That's a line to use. It's really empowering. I'd almost ask everyone to like right now say that. My number one job is to keep you safe. Like it's so empowering to hear yourself say that with your kid. It's it's for their benefit, but it's really for a parent's benefit. You feel really emboldened in your authority. Not scary authority, just the authority we have as parents. So let's say my kid, I just noticed they were going to throw the tantrum or they're looking to do something dangerous. They're you know, going to get a scissor and run around with it, whatever our kids do, you know, (laughs) I'd say, here's the key line. I won't let you. Boundaries, and we're talking about boundaries or tantrums. Boundaries are things we tell our kids we will do. Too often, we think boundaries are something we tell a kid not to do. Stop running. Don't throw that iPad. I need you to get off the couch. I'm telling you to get off the couch. Get off the couch. Don't press the elevator buttons. Don't press any more elevator buttons. That is not a boundary. That is literally a theater of dysregulation. Because a kid who's in that environment is like, I'm clearly out of control. Why is my parent giving me like the leadership role here? It would be like if you were in your office and there was someone totally out of control and the CEO was like, oh, hey, why don't you take over, take over the office? And you'd be like, what? Like that, that person's totally out of control. It feels so unsafe. If your kid was running into the street, you would never say don't run into the street. You would grab your kid. So mm-hmm. number one, and this helps avoid so many tantrums and shorten their length is when we show up as that sturdy leader. I won't let you run around with scissors. I won't let you throw the iPad. And if someone's thinking, what does that even mean? That means our body too. If I have to grab the iPad out of my kid's hand to get my kid not to throw it, you better bet I will. Not to punish my kid. That's not a consequence. That's my job to keep everyone safe. It's not safe to throw an iPad. It's not safe to run around with scissors. And our kids can't start to regulate in a tantrum until they feel like there's a safe authority because they know they're not the safe authority. I won't let you. My number one job is to keep you safe. Right now, safety means taking that iPad out of your hand. And now watch the other part of my job. I know that doesn't feel good to you. I know it stinks when something's taken from you. I'm keeping you safe. I know you're upset. We'll get through this. Everything's coming together. The boundaries, the firmness, but also I think you can hear what I'm saying. I'm not looking at my kid like they're a bad kid. They're a good kid who needs help. So, so important. Then what's going to happen? kid's going to cry, right? To me, I'm always differentiating. Is this safe? Crying? That's safe. Screaming depends on our own kind of tolerance. Mostly, I think actually fairly safe, but probably safer if I take my kid into their room. Screaming in the middle of your living room with the whole family around is just, it's disorienting even to the kid doing it. They kind of watch themselves spill over and like change the dynamic. So I think this next step of this kind of talk about tantrums is something I think we don't do enough of as parents is take our kids into a quieter, smaller room, not out of a punishment and definitely not in a timeout, with you. Because if you think about a tantrum as a volcano explosion, one of the ways we set a boundary and contain our kids is literally by saying the space we're in is smaller. Your tantrum isn't like exploding into the living room. And I have an open floor plan. So one of the things I think about, because so many tantrums happen in my kitchen or on food or on things, right? Is like, wow, now the tantrum is in the kitchen. It's in the table. It's in the living room. Like it's almost visually so overstimulating for a kid that I will pick up my kid and say, I'm taking you to your room. You're not in trouble. You're a good kid having a hard time. You're having a lot of big feelings. Mommy's going to sit with you. Again, most kids don't say thank you so much. They say, get away from me, get (laughs) out, right? And we kind of need to see through that as like, wow, this is my four-year-old or my eight-year-old who's clearly out of control. They can't be alone. They can't, they don't have decision power, right? Mm -hmm. And I'm staying with them, not leaving my kid alone. And that going back, Lindsay, to what we were talking about, the aloneness in a feeling becomes more painful than the feeling itself. So I don't buy it for a second. I don't take a bait when a kid's saying, get out of my room and they're spinning and out of control. I'll say, my number one job is to keep you safe. Right now, safety means sitting here. Even if you don't like it, I won't talk to you. I don't even have to look directly at you. I'm staying because I love you and you're a good kid and we're going to get through this. I love that. So I have a question mm-hmm. in regards to that. So what would you suggest if I know this was a, a question that came up? Great. 
if you have other children that are too small to be alone in that sort of a situation, do you take them with you? What do you do in that situation? This is like the unfortunate right reality of parenting is you're yeah. like, yeah, that sounds amazing. And I have three kids too, right? So I get this in that, well, you have four, but I have a lot of kids, right? Yeah. <laughs> More yeah. than one. More than zero is a lot of kids. <laughs> Here's the truth. I think one of the things we have to differentiate as a parent is when am I in survival mode and when am I in some type of skill building mode? Because again, if we think we can build some skill or get out of a situation well when truly we're in survival mode, that activates our shame and, oh, I'm a bad parent. Yeah. What do we do when we have four kids who need us at the same time? I, I don't know. I mean, like, literally, I mean that. Like, <laughs> I, I don't, you think I have a solution to that? Like, I have no idea. You know, you, you, you survive I it. I always yeah. think in those moments, I'm going to try to survive it without making it worse, without, like, digging myself deeper. But I'm not climbing out of the hole. I'm just going to try to, like, bottom out, right? So one of the things I say a lot in my house is, wow, three kids, one mom. And I have three kids who all need a mom at the same time. And right, I'm always thinking, I'm sure you too, Lindsay, like I need a mom also. So I need four moms, like, <laughs> right? Like where is my all compassionate, helpful, yes. you know, parent yeah. at this time? Oh, yeah. But that's the truth. We need four mm-hmm. soothing figures and there's one, but I'm in need of my own soothing, right? So what do you do? To me, just naming that can actually connect again to what's happening. We're actually making that experience in each of our kids a little less alone by just naming that it's happening. You wish you had a mom and you wish you had a mom and you wish you had a mom and here I am one mom. Nobody is getting what they need. I want to take your sister to her room because I know she'd calm down better there. But you and me over here, you're running around with a, <laughs> with a fork, you know, like just like the random stuff. And you're like, well, how did that even happen? Right? Like, wow, it is so out in here. Nobody's getting exactly what they need. And I know we'll get through it. That's all. That's all. And is it going to be as pretty as that in real life based on, no, because me and you are talking with headphones. I don't know where your kids are. My kids are at the house right now. This is yep. very pleasant. In yep. reality, it would be messier than that. But I think being able to say to yourself, there's no win here. There's no solution. Like to me, I, I love it. It's, it's so endearing when people say they, they often make their home like, what would Dr. Becky do? Let me tell you, what would Dr. Becky do in that moment? I would say something nice to myself and like cross my fingers and just be like, wow, this stinks. Like this, this really stinks. And I'm going to hopefully get through it. That's yep. what I would do. Yep. There's nothing fancy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love that. I love that. Yeah. It's just so hard because a lot of those moments you're like, oh crap, wait, I'm, I'm by myself. I have, yeah. I have one child who's throwing a tantrum by the front door before school. And then I've got a baby who needs to eat. And then I've got, oh, my oldest needs me to do her hair. She has this special hair thing she needs to do today. And like, you know, it's just like spinning out of control. <laughs> right. The, the thing I would add, because like, Any moments that we just have to survive, to me, there's like a secondary part that I try to do if and when I have the energy, which is I always think about this thing, like store it now, act on it later. Like, oh, I'm storing this. Like, I can't do anything now. Like there's that kid having a tantrum. There's that, there's that. Okay. I'm going to act on this information later when we're a little calmer. So I might then say to my child, Hey, you know what I'm thinking about? You always want me to do your hair in the morning. And it's always at the same time as your brother needs me to put on his shoes. I'm wondering if we think about that because I know it doesn't feel good to you or me to have that whole thing happen again. So now I'm using that information later. No, not in the moment. I'm not doing anything beautiful in the moment, but I'm acting on it later, right? Or there's all, if you have, if you have a bunch of kids and you're thinking, I'm always depleted. First off, name, name not your just depletion, but Name a part of that with your kids in advance. Ooh, you know what I'm thinking about? Getting ready to go to school is always a tricky time. Mm-hmm. It'll keep being tricky because, look, we have this many kids. We have this many parents. But I'm wondering if there's one thing everyone can think of that they say, I'm going to do one thing new tomorrow. I'm going to do one thing more independently than before. And if we can all do that as a team, let's play a silly song and do some silly dances. we get out the door, whatever it is, right? But you're kind of coming together, but you're planning in advance versus waiting for the moment to come and expecting yourself to have some superhero response, which is (laughs) just, it's just not going to, it wouldn't even happen for a superhero. So I think that's, that's a part of it as well as that kind of forward thinking. 
Yes. Yes. And actually I had a conversation with my friend the other day and this came up and she said, you know, I know I'm going to go into this store and I know my children are going to ask for X, Y, and Z. Let's address it before it happens. We're going into this store. I know that you might see a lot of things that you're going to want. We won't be leaving with anything today. And I know that stinks, but let's have the conversation beforehand to kind of set expectations. And so I was like, oh, that's really great. And I love that. I just, and that reminds me of, of what she was telling me. Yeah. I always call that kind of like emotional vaccination, right? So yeah. we're doing that work right now. And even, right, we, we can kind of plan in advance and say, so what do you, what, what should we say to ourselves when that happens? Or how can we manage that? That's great. But we underestimate the power of just predicting it and just adding empathy. Oh, so we're going to buy a toy for your friend for her birthday and, oh, that's hard to buy a toy for someone and not get one for yourself, right? Do you know that's even hard for me? I bought my friend a necklace for her birthday, and it was so hard for me not to, not to get one for myself. Oh, and even if we don't add some other more concrete layer, what now happens when your child's in the store and they have that disappointment? Again, to me, we connect anything back, everything back to attachment and aloneness or connection. Is Lindsay, you've pre-connected to that feeling. Your child is not alone in that feeling. Because they've already gotten your support. The reason it changes a reaction is because you've added that validation and attachment before it comes and we're all too frustrated to kind of manage that situation well. Yeah, I love that. All right, so I have so many questions that I feel like will tie in so well with what we've talked about. So let me bring them up here. Oh, this is a good one. What do you do when both parents differ on the way that they would handle? I know. Yeah. I can already see. Did, did you really? You, you went there for the. You went there, Lindsay. I'm sorry. I oh know. my goodness. Okay. No, no, no. I, I like the tough questions because this is real life, and to me, like we want to talk about the stuff that really matters. I, I know. I kind of, you know, took this deep breath because look, this is tricky, and I'm just taking a deep breath because I think everyone knows there's not one thing I, like that's going to solve this. Right? We're talking about what happens when a couple actually has a hard time communicating about differences. When someone, often I hear this, is, yeah, like, how do I convince my partner? How do I convince my husband or my wife? But what we're really talking about is I feel pretty strongly about our approach to parenting. And I feel like we can't have a respectful, positive, you know, open-minded conversation. And it kind of goes back to communication patterns, right? One of the things I love about everything happening on Instagram for me is, is the community gives me so much feedback about all these things that, yeah, we're talking about strategies, but in addition to talking about strategies, we have to talk about couples communication, right? Like we're not just parenting in a vacuum. So, so excited. That's actually my upcoming workshop, which I'm super excited Ooh, about. I love it. Couples communication. And to me, the first step is we have to connect with someone, and this is going to sound similar, and have that person feel seen. Everyone has to feel seen and respected before we're open to being influenced by someone else. You have to be. And I think it's easy to say, look, there's this research and there's this video. And that's not right. It sounds like, sure, I want parents who are skeptical to watch my videos. But actually, I would say, don't start there. Right? Start with, hey, I have a feeling we both want the same things. We both want good kids to be good citizens in the world, people who feel good about themselves. And can care about others and care about themselves. I know that. And it's interesting because we do things really differently, even though we have that same goal. So maybe we can just forget about who's doing what. Like, let's just talk about our parenting hopes or let's talk a little bit about how we were parented. You can't talk about changing parenting without having a good nap of how your partner was parented. And then to get a little bit more specific and concrete, one of my favorite IGTVs I've ever made is called Laying the Foundation for Resilience, a video for skeptical parents. And I think so many people have given me feedback that, you know, one of the reasons parents are kind of worried about this approach, like, why would I validate the tantrum to send my kid to the room and tell them to calm down and come out? I think parents are really worried, like, I'm not preparing my kid for life. They're going to be too soft. And I get that. I think all parents want to prepare their kids. And so I respect that skepticism. And in that IGTV, I really lay out why I think our feelings and our relationship with our feelings are actually our source of strength. Like, why this makes strong kids, not flimsy kids. Um, And I think I lay it out in a way that is actually really, it really resonates. And I've gotten a lot of feedback. It really resonates. 
with skeptical parents. So I think that could also be a kind of an interesting thing to watch with a partner after you've done that work of kind of seeing them um, and what's happening for them. Yeah, I love that. I'll have to link to that in the show notes so that people have easy access to it after yeah. this. Okay. So we, we, we sort of touched on this in the middle of a tantrum. Should you comfort through talking or touching or just let it run its course? So I think, you know, mm-hmm. as we mentioned, if you can take them into a smaller room by yourself yep. and giving them that one-on-one, which I think is really great. And especially with multiple children, like you and I, I think it's really important because they never get that one-on-one. And so this gives yeah. them that opportunity. But when do you know to, to talk, to not talk, to touch, to hug, to just sit there? Yeah. Just waiting for cues. So I, I do think it's kind of child dependent, right? Mm-hmm. I think perhaps more important than anything else is our presence during a tantrum. Again, when we are present in a hopefully relatively calm way, being present in a reactive, scary way, that's definitely not what I was talking about. Mm-hmm. But being present, just kind of like I'm surviving this. That is more powerful than anything else we do right? We're animals. Our bodies understand what's happening around us from a, a proximity you know, perspective. And in a tantrum, a kid is really in survival mode. So what they're really picking up on is, is my parent as scared of this moment as I am? Is my parent as overwhelmed as this feels inside me? And the way they learn that is, can my parent withstand this? Or is this so intolerable and so bad and so destructive that I'm literally sent away from a proximity perspective, mm-hmm. which is what attachment is. That's the scariest thing. We're like, wow, that was literally threatening to my attachment. My parent couldn't even stay near me. So your presence is hugely important. If that means you're taking a deep breath and you're just saying, nothing's wrong with me, nothing's wrong with my child. This tantrum will end when it is meant to end. I can cope with this, something like that. And your, mom, and your kids then, what are you even saying? Again, don't take the bait. Your presence, if that's what you need to do to stay calm, Mm-hmm. you are crushing it. And I think every kid is different. Like if I think about my own family, one of my kids really likes to hear, oh, you really, really wish I would let you, you know, pour your milk into 15 different cups, you know, whatever they want to do. <laughs> right? You really wish that. That would feel really good if your milk was spread out through every single cup that I had to hand wash <laughs> after. I get it, right? One of my kids, like that was really great. If I do that with my daughter, I mean, forget it. With my daughter, I cannot talk about a wish. I can't talk about a feeling. It escalates. And I think if you have a kid like that, you often think I'm doing these things wrong, these parenting books. Mm. No. You have a kid, and this is something, Lindsay, I think you should definitely think to in the show. These are kids I call deeply feeling kids. These kids are the most misunderstood kids because they push people away at the time they actually need you most. Mm -hmm. And these kids need that presence, even though they won't give you any gratification, but they also need you to kind of be quiet and not... Do anything that feels too close, too much, because it actually mm-hmm. just further overwhelms their system. They're so fried. So for yes. those kids, when I think about my daughter, I stay, get out of my room. I will not talk about a feeling. I mean, I did. And mm-hmm. then I saw, I was like, whoa, that, that did not go well. Okay. Right. But I mostly just stay. I mostly yeah. just stay. Right. Yeah. And so I think it is figuring out what happens for your kid and kind of trusting yourself. I know my kid. Yes, I'm learning the strategy. I'm hearing this podcast. I'm going to also pick up on data and follow my gut, right? Sometimes a kid rejects something. My, my daughter always used to tell me, get out of my room. No, 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 no. I just, I saw through that. But the mm-hmm. way she reacted when I would talk about a feeling that I was like, whoa, whoa, okay. I'm going to start, stop that part, but I'm going to stay. So I think there's a range and to kind of feel free, try different things, talk to different parents and follow that gut. And if you're looking for more, yeah, like take a, take a course, take a workshop, yeah. empower yourself with a, with a new comprehensive framework. I think that's really important to note because somebody might take what we're saying today and use that and say, oh, okay, this doesn't work. I need to try something else. When in reality, no, this is going to work. You just might have a child who, like you said, is is a deep feeler. And I actually have one of those. Yep. And I think we briefly chatted about this through um, a message. And I, I need to take your workshop because it is it is a totally different beast. I feel like you have to handle things differently, approach things differently. and. I don't know how yet Maggie will react to things. She's my fourth, but out of my other older three, she's definitely my deep feeler. And it's, it can be very overwhelming. And she definitely, t- she handles things completely differently. I can't wait for your feedback on that workshop because parents, they really like the feedback is people like, this is like the first time I understand my kid. Like people go bananas yeah. for that workshop. And I am obsessed with that workshop because I feel like I have that kid. 
I work with the adults who were those kids in my private practice. That's where I get my best ideas about what those kids really need. And it just, it really, it it really helps so much. That's really cool. I love that. I love that. Okay. Tantrums for non nonverbal children. So my, she said, my two and a half year old son is a tiny bit behind, and I feel like it's a bit hard that he can't communicate. So what do you do when your when your child is not able to verbalize? Listen, I'm upset about this. Yep, great. This is such a great question. Our kids, I believe, at any age, always understand our intention. They understand our intention to connect and see them, and they understand keeping them safe. So I'd actually say the same thing. Mm-hmm. Right. I always hear, but at what age will my kid understand this? I always say now, now, assume it's now. It doesn't mean yeah. I'm going to talk politics with my two year old. Okay. Right. But like <laughs> they understand what we're trying to do. Right. So same thing. Oh, and you can see the wish. Oh, you wish I would let you, whatever you wish I would let you climb up on that table. Right. You can see it even if, or even to me, this is one of my favorite lines. Something feels so bad to you right now. I believe you. We don't even have to understand. We're just validating the feeling without needing to understand it. And to me, that's a beautiful gift to set up early in your kid's wiring. You know what? Let's end with these two quick questions I always ask my interviewees. They're just like very laid back questions. Okay. So the first one is, if you could give advice to moms, any advice at all can be about anything, what would it be? My biggest piece of advice, I guess, would be like two things, I would say. Number one, build your Mm self-compassion, right? Being a mom is so hard. And the more compassionate we are with ourselves, oh, this is hard. This feels hard because it is hard. I'm doing my best. I want to do better. And I'm doing my best. Those can both be true. When we're building our self-compassion, we're building our ability to regulate because we're seeing ourselves as good people. And we're flooding ourselves with the very qualities we want to give our kids. We want to be compassionate and patient with them. We cannot give out what we don't give in. Then the second part I would say is to take that a step further. You know, parents always ask me, you have so many workshops and so many courses. Which one do I start with? My kid's doing this. My kid's doing this. And I, I always say either the reparenting workshop or the managing stress and anxiety workshop. And they're like, no, no, no. Those are for me. I'm, I'm talking about my kids. And I was like, I'm like, yeah, I... I know. <laughs> they're like, what? Right? And there could be something almost like, oh, I have to work on myself. But there's something that's so amazing when you allow yourself to see your parenting journey as this kind of like continued evolution in your own development. When you see it not as a what's wrong with me, but wow, I'm going to learn a lot about myself. I'm going to grow as a person. It's going to benefit my kids. That's great for them. It's also going to benefit me as I feel more grounded and better about different parts of myself and more capable and more equipped and more sturdy. That's a, that's a me thing. That's amazing. And if I allow myself to see my triggers in that light and say, let me not just go back to my past. Let me figure out how my past is living on in my present and see if that still works for me. Let me build up my mechanisms to cope with stress and anxiety. It changes the whole family system. So that would be the second part, build that self-compassion But push yourself to do a little work on yourself, not because there's anything wrong with you. There's never been anything wrong with you because you just deserve to feel more grounded and at home with who you are. Yes. All right. Last question. If you could make one meal for your family that everybody loves and will all eat, what would it be? Oh my goodness. It would be pasta with butter and Parmesan cheese and a little extra salt and then (laughs) some like chicken fingers, which I try to make homemade. And my my kids are like, these are, these are like pretty disgusting. So it'd be like uh, from the box chicken fingers. And then, <laughs> you know, probably like peppers and cucumbers. That, yes. that, that is my go-to family go-to meal when I feel like, you know, I don't have it in me to feel another level of disappointment. Yeah. And so that's it. That's what we're having. Yeah. That's what I'm having. And it tastes delicious. You know, you have some ketchup, so some barbecue sauce, yes. you're good to go. There you yes. go. That's it. Yes. yes. <laughs> well, thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to talk with us. I know so many people will really love this and, and take so much from it. So thank you so much. Thank you so much for hanging out with us today. All resources mentioned in this episode can be found in the show notes on lindsayandco.com. To continue these important conversations, head over to Motherhood Meets Medicine on Instagram. Let me know what you learned from this episode and who you would love to hear from next. I always love getting feedback from you. If you're finding value in this podcast, please rate, review, subscribe, and share with a friend. This will help us to reach even more women from around the world. 
I'll catch you next week. Until then, don't forget to find some time to unplug, unwind, and have a little fun. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.